Chapter 6 of Helen Lester. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Christina Ordonez, Claremont, Florida. Helen Lester by Pansy. Chapter 6 Fred Discovers That He Is a Coward. Fred was sauntering in the garden, whistling. It was Sabbath, but it seems he had to whistle. At least, he was never anywhere long without doing so. This time, his tune was so very soft that not even the birds could catch it. He had a fancy that it was not a very respectable way in which to spend the Sabbath. But what was there to do? A fellow can't read forever, said Fred, and, of course, he can't study, so what's left to do? He sauntered on until he came to the summer house. There he found Cleveland reading, but he closed his book at once when he saw Fred and came out to him. Did you ever see a more beautiful evening? he asked. Tis splendid. That's a fact, said Fred. John came out. Just then, from the stables, leading Cleveland's ponies, which were harnessed to his light carriage. Fred, said Cleveland, suddenly, suppose you and I go to church? To church, bless me. I've been once today. Well, so have I, and I'm going again. Suppose you keep me company? Fred thought it all over. Church is a stupid place, but what the dickens will a fellow do if he stays at home? Pleasant ride, too, and those are dashing ponies. Well, he said aloud, I believe I'll go. Ten minutes more, and they were riding over the smooth road. There's Will Fletcher, said Fred. As they pass a tall boy, I wonder where he's going. What sort of boy is he? Oh, good enough. Don't amount to much. His brother Harris, now, is tip-top. Boys are all queer, said Cleveland quietly. Everybody is, for that matter, but particularly boys. I've been thinking, today, what strange beings they were. Why? asked Fred, curiously. What is there so very queer about them? I was thinking, when I spoke, of their courage. You can scarcely listen to a boy's talk for ten minutes without hearing how brave he is, what great things he has done, or is going to do, and yet there is one thing in which nearly all boys are cowards. I like to know what that is, anyhow, said Fred, much interested. It's this matter of religion, of becoming Christians. Many people suppose it is because boys are thoughtless that they treat these things so lightly. I don't think so. I believe they think about religion sometimes. It would be so extremely foolish not to do so. Take yourself, for instance, Fred. You know you're going to die. You know it is quite possible that you may die young. You see and hear constantly of death. You know about heaven. You know it is a place well worth struggling for. And you know how to reach it. Now, wouldn't it be very foolish of me to suppose that you never gave any thought to such matters? Fred made no answer and his brother continued. I know you do. I know everybody does. I may be very little thought that they give, but if I know other time, when they stand at an open grave and see someone whom they knew and perhaps loved, buried out of sight, then they have to think. Now, the question is, why are there not more Christians among boys and young men? I know the reason. It's because they are afraid. It's because you are afraid that you 
are not one today. I, said Fred, contemptuously, who am I afraid of, I'd like to know. Oh, you think if you should read your Bible and pray, the boys would find it out? And you're afraid that Charlie Gray would call you Parson, and Will Fletcher would say that you had grown pious, and the boys, generally, would laugh at you? You see, I know all about it, for I remember just how I used to feel. Many a time, I thought I should really like to be a Christian. If it were not for the boys, and the older I grew, the more strange and foolish those fears seemed to me. I know now that I was a coward, a slave to the boys of my set. I was afraid of their opinions, above all, of their laugh. But it seems I wasn't afraid of the anger of a just and holy God, who, I knew, kept me alive, and who could take my breath away at any moment. If there were anything to gain by such strange conduct, even if there were nothing to lose, it might make a difference. But there is a simple truth. In a few words, you and I know that we have got to die. We know that we are sinners. We know there is a heaven, and one way in which to gain it. And yet, because we shall be laughed at by some boys or men whom, we know, we are going to meet before God, we rush ahead and put God and death out of our thoughts as much as we can, and we work hard all summer, and maybe for a prize or something of that sort, and let heaven slip away from us. People are living everywhere, just as if they did not know they would certainly lie in their graves. Now, honestly, Fred, don't you think that when a boy acts like that, he acts like a coward and a simpleton? But Fred was speechless from utter amazement. He had never heard anybody talk in that way before. He had always supposed people talked about religion in a slow, whining tone, and he had an idea that they thought everybody desperately wicked except themselves. Yet, here was one talking about it as he would any other important subject, and actually calling people who are not Christians cowards and simpletons. Now, Fred was called a very brave boy. His schoolmates said they believed there was nothing in the world that he was afraid of, and he had rather thought so too, and gloried in his courage. Boys like to be thought brave, and there is really nothing that they ought to fear, except God's all-seeing eye. But Fred was honest enough to own to himself that every word his brother had said was true, and, for the first time in his life, he began to have a dim notion that, perhaps, after all, he was a great coward. The text for that evening's sermon was, Choose ye this day whom ye will serve. In Cleveland, as they rode home, broke the stillness by repeating the words in a solemn tone, and added simply, I hope you will choose. Fred, at last, spoke abruptly. I'd just like to know what brought you around to this way of thinking. You used to be far enough from it. I'll tell you, Fred. You remember young Dennis, who went to Europe with me? Well, perhaps you know that it is quite the fashion for gay young men to disbelieve the Bible, and it is the easiest way of getting along. If a person of any sense at all can succeed in making such a simpleton of himself as to really disbelieve it. A great many pretend to think it is all false, but I believe few persons really do think so. However, Dennis and I made ourselves believe, as well as we could, that there was no such thing as religion, and we lived a very gay life there for a year or more, and then, Fred, I saw him die. Such a death I hope never to see again. It was very dreadful. If I had ever, for a moment, truly believed 
that there was no God and no other life to live. I knew then that such a belief was false. During that same week, I saw two other deaths so very different. A little child, not yet eight years old, folded her little hands and prayed, and then closed her eyes as quietly as if she had been going to sleep and went home to heaven. And only the next day, a very old, very learned, good man who boarded at the same hotel where I was stopping went to sleep just so quietly, putting his trust in Jesus and Fred. I had to think about the matter then, and I saw that the trust which could keep the simple little girl from fear and let her die with a smile, and which could bring the same look of peace to the face of a gray-haired statesman, was something wonderful, something worth everyone's while to have. So, I went to Jesus and found it. And, my brother, my most earnest prayer is that you may find it now, without waiting to wander through so many follies as I did. End of chapter 6. Recording by Christina Ordonez, Claremont, Florida.